All right, we are looking forward to Thanksgiving and Christmas together. If you've not been with us on uh, Christmas Eve, we do have a Christmas Eve service coming up, a uh, tradition, uh, lots of Christmas songs celebrating the birth of Christ, and then uh, we have a wonderful tradition where we uh, pass out candles and we light, we light the rose and everyone sings Silent Night before we go, and it's just a wonderful time. So uh, Christmas Eve, uh, we're sensitive to uh, the plans and everything that people have, but if you would like to join us Christmas Eve, it's, uh, it's a wonderful family service as well. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you are doing in and through this church family. So blessed to be a part of it. And uh, Father, as we have been looking at your word specifically the last two weeks, what it means to live lives that glorify you, to be living doxologies, that our words and our deeds, how we carry ourselves, how we conduct ourselves throughout this week, that, that ultimately it would honor you, glorify you. And, and then, Father, to see that, that we glorify you primarily by just living in accord with your will as revealed in your word. And, and so as we continue to look at, at giving thanks and, and how that glorifies you and, and why that even might be a challenge, Father, help us to, to bring understanding and and clarity to the scripture, but then, Lord, to bring application, because you tell us in your word in James that uh, we need to be hearers and doers, and that if we just listen but don't do anything with it, you say that we're deceived, and, and we don't want to be deceived, Father. So, so thank you for your word. Thank you again for everyone here, everyone listening online, and, and Lord, we commit this time to you. Just love your word so much, and, and thankful for the transformation you've been bringing lives of people as we've just been faithful to preach, teach, and apply your word. So, so we give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 5.16, kind of a, a good launching verse for us for the last two weeks. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? We've been talking about being a living doxology. And if you understand doxology and if you really understand our call fundamentally to be a living doxology, that our entire life is to glorify Him, Father, it brings so much clarity and actually answers a very, very deep fundamental question that probably every human at some point has on this planet. Why am I here? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Am I just taking up real estate and air? You know, Why am I here? And we've seen that to understand that we're here ultimately to glorify God makes it all kind of make sense. Even the trials, the daily decisions you and I are going to make for the rest of this day, to know that every decision can be made rooted in a desire to glorify God brings purpose to every decision. There's no randomness. You're not just reactive. You're not just, oh, waiting for the next bad thing to happen because you know that even if something bad does happen, you can glorify God in that. Amen? So this, this purpose to glorify God permeates everything. It permeates your parenting. It permeates your employment. It permeates your marriage. Right? How many of us, you know, don't answer this one, just, but just think about this. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, here. 
When was the last time you said, you know what? Fundamentally, I want God to be glorified in my marriage. Like seriously, when was the last time that that actually was the driving purpose for your marriage? Or moms and dads, we want God to be glorified in this home. Is that the fundamental purpose? Because I'm not saying it's not, but what happens in our culture is the fundamental purpose becomes eat, sleep, pay the bills. Try not to fight too much. Right? If we're not careful and we don't have a big purpose, we just by default get into what people, some people call the tyranny of the urgent. How many of you kind of get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent? The next urgent thing that's on your calendar, right? And you just kind of feel like sometimes a pinball, for those of us in the pinball era, right? Some of you are like, pinball? What's a pinball machine? Right? How many of you are arcade pinball? Thank you. Right? Put a quarter in. Pinball. So for half of you who feel like pinballs, and the other half, I don't know what you, what you... Sometimes you need to stop and say, wait, why am I doing this? What's the purpose behind this? Right? Even here on a Sunday. If we're not careful, we have a meeting at 8. People start arriving I, even before then. If we're not careful, even as a church, we can decide, we can slide into, well, isn't our purpose just to make it through service? Isn't our purpose just to have a service? Isn't our purpose just to do the calendar? And if we're not careful, we, even as a church, can get caught up in programming as the purpose. Right? And then when you slide that way, suddenly it's not about glorifying God, it's about programming, because now it's about us. And the purpose becomes self-centered. So we've been talking about being living doxologies. That's why I love that verse, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we shared last week, this also means you should be the best at whatever you do. Give your best. God desires the best whatever you are. Artist, right? Fireman, businessman, student, athlete, right? It says here, so that they may see your good works. You know, it's weird. Sometimes as, as Christians, you have to be careful that you create this, this sort of false compartmental. Well, that's the stuff of the world. So I'm not going to care too much about that. What I really care about is the things of God. I've seen this. And, and then you just sort of, well, uh, it's okay. It's just, it's just the stuff of the world. I can get, you know, I don't have to give my all because I'm, I'm just really about the stuff of God. No. The stuff of the world, you being the best you, you honoring God, you using your gifts and talents to the fullest gives glory to God. Amen? That's what we're called to do. That's why you need to be the best whatever, wherever he places you, right? There's a, a wonderful phrase from our dear friend B at Triple C, who was 100-something, right? And what did she say? Her great phrase that ministered to me and all of our team. She said, hey, Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Code for be a doxology. Think about that. Throughout the week, you are probably planted in a very, very, you know, various places. Bloom there. Bloom. Honor God there. And suddenly, you'll find, like me, at the end of the day, you feel pretty good. 
Not just that you survived another day, but you can look back on your life, on, on your day and go, wow, God was honored. Yeah? That's a good feeling. It's a good feeling, right? So how do we do that? Billy Graham says we glorify God by living lives that honor Him. So how do we honor Him? Fundamentally, obey His will. Well, where do you find His will? His Word. Right? And so last week, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so we looked at the distinction because the most important word in that verse is what? In. In, not for. In. In every circumstance, in my life and in your life, 24-7, 365, we are called to give thanks in it. So, quick, quick review. This past, for some of you, it's been, what, seven days, six days since we've seen you. Think back this past week. Did you give thanks in all of your circumstances this week? Just think about it, just for a second. How'd you do? Give thanks in. Did you give thanks at work? Did you give thanks in your family situation this week? How'd you do? Right? Radical shift to give thanks in everything because that's a step of faith. Right? It's trusting God in everything. It's, we said the distinction between focusing on the promise of God versus the problem. So this past week, were you more focused on your problems or the promises of God? Right? Because if you were fo- more focused on the promises of God, then you probably were giving thanks in it. If you were focused more on the problems, you probably were complaining and grumbling and asking God to take it away. Right? The prayer of subtraction that many of us have, right? John MacArthur says, to be thankful always is to recognize God's control of our lives in every detail as he seeks to conform us to the image of his son. Nothing must grieve the Holy Spirit so much as the believer who does not give thanks, right? So it's November, Thanksgiving is coming up, and and really there's a theme here, right? Thanksgiving, giving thanks. And what's really interesting, and we're going to look at it today, this morning, is This idea of giving thanks or thanksgiving is really supposed to be part of the fabric of who we are as believers. It's really interesting. Look at Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Here it is. Abounding in thanksgiving. Think about that abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, us abounding in it, is not an add-on. We are to be continuously, when, when Scripture says give thanks, what that means is continually, habitually, as part of your life, in every circumstance, in every situation, we are to be abounding, we are to be giving thanks all the time as believers. That word abounding, the word picture to help you understand, it's a river overflowing its banks. Okay, so another check for this past week. Were you abounding in Thanksgiving this week? Because I think for me, at certain, I I forget what day it was, I was abounding in complaining. Like it was just flowing over the banks. 
I was just having a, a, not a wrong abounding for me. I had to catch myself, right? How did you do? Think about that. Abounding. Were you abounding in Thanksgiving? And again, this is not a one-off. This is not reserved for special occasions. This is supposed to be part of the fruit. Part of our testimony. Part of our doxology is to be seen, to be known as someone who gives thanks, who abounds in thanksgiving just cause. That, that's who you are. Right? And I gotta tell you, if, if you will understand this and choose to apply this, you will shine, especially in today's culture. There are so many people grumbling, complaining, angry, depressed, right? The cup is always half empty, a quarter empty, whatever, right? It's just everything is negative, criticized, criticized. And what, what difference would it make if you and I just come in and we're abounding in thanksgiving? And I'm talking being phony, fake, or foolish. I'm just saying abounding in thanksgiving, genuinely giving thanks in everything, right? So, so why is that so hard, though? It's really interesting because how many of you were raised to say please and thank you? Like, just, right? That's a good thing, right? You're little, your parent says, what do you say, please? And then you get whatever it is you, you're asking for. And then, now what do you say? Right? So, 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 right? What do you want? What do you say on the first? Wow, there's a voice, right? You get it. Thank you, right? And if you don't get it, what does mom say? Thank you. Say thank you. And maybe you get a little worried. Hey, say thank you, right? Say thank you. So, so it's interesting because we're raised that thank you is tied to getting something. Thank you, we're raised, is sort of something we, we it, it's not innate, it's we, we learn it. It's because we get something. We ask for something nicely, and then we acknowledge that we got something with thank you. But biblical thanksgiving isn't dependent on getting anything. It's just who we are in everything. And you're like, whoa. How many of you are like, whoa? That, that's radical, right? Even that, just if you chose for the next year to make that a focal point of your Christian walk, you would radically change. You would be a radically different person one year from now if you chose to say, Lord, for the next 12 months, I want you to show me, I want you to teach me, I want you to empower me to be someone who abounds in thanksgiving. Watch what happened in your life. Watch what happened to those around you. Right? You might become what I call a thermostat versus a thermometer. Right? What does the thermometer do? It kind of measures and shows the existing temperature. What does a thermostat do? Changes it. It changes it. See, part of us being a doxology, using all the resources we have, be salt, be light, go be thermostats in Christ. Amen? Part of that is simply being someone who gives thanks, who abounds in thanksgiving. You walk into a situation at work, in your house, at school, whatever. If you're abounding in thanksgiving, you might be a thermostat. You might change that temperature. You might help your coworkers to go, oh, wow, that is right. Gosh, I never thought I had that much to be thankful for. God, you're always giving thanks. What's up with that? Right? What a great in to share your testimony. 
You know, every time you come in, you've got a smile on your face and you're giving thanks. I don't like that. <laughs> How do you do that? Well, let me tell you. What a great in. Right? So part of the challenge is we have sort of were raised with this idea that saying thank you is tied to getting something. And if I don't get something, then I don't have to be thankful for anything. Kind of strange, right? Kind of, kind of weird how that might be hindering some of us from developing a lifestyle of thanksgiving. A lifestyle of thanksgiving, right? The other reason that abounding and giving thanks might be a challenge is, honestly, Ephesians 5. It says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. When it says be filled with the Spirit, what it really means is be controlled. Be controlled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is giving thanks abounding all the time difficult? Because it's a work of the Spirit. See, that's radically different than please and thank you, right? Our calling, our high calling, our supernatural calling to be those that abound in thanksgiving and give thanks in all circumstances requires, quite honestly, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Because how many of you left to the flesh kind of don't give thanks for much? I mean, honestly, right? We tend to, you know, I called it this morning, I focus more on thanksgiving. Like, what do I want? What do I want next? And how come I don't, can't afford that? And gosh, I really wish I had that. And how come they get all the good stuff? And it's all about get, 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 or what I can't get, 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 what I can't afford. And it, it, that, that's just the flesh. That's just the flesh. So it's going to require even for me, Father, in the flesh, this is impossible. Especially in our culture, social media, that constantly bombards you with how inadequate you are. How inadequate. You don't measure up. You're not cool. You don't have all the cool stuff. You don't, you don't dress right. Everyone's got the cool cars. They're going on the cool trips. They're always smiling. How come everyone is always smiling, right? And, and you look at social media and you leave there depressed and discouraged because everyone has it all together. Isn't that crazy? That everyone has it all together on social media. All right? And so you can turn inward. Our culture is designed, and so much of it is about me and me and me, and much of it is me and how much I don't have. That's why it's a work of the Spirit to say, Lord, I need you to take my eyes off of me. How can I begin to abound? Right? And I, and I thought of a story that, that I think even helps us understand why some of us are challenged, even in the church. And I think this will be helpful for us who have been in the church maybe for a while. Why is it so hard to give thanks? Why do we maybe even forget to give thanks, right? In Luke 17, there's a story, familiar story of the ten lepers. It's called the ten lepers, right? Jesus is walking and says, On the way to Jerusalem, this is Jesus, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go. And show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? We're the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Right? And we're going we're gonna to walk through this. Verse 11 through 13, if you, if you don't know about leprosy in the Bible, you know, leprosy generally refers to a, a horrific skin condition. Right. And some of you have seen pictures and maybe you're familiar with it. Right. But it's very interesting because because if you came down with leprosy, you were an outcast, not just physically, but socially, family, religiously. You were you were just bottom of the barrel. Right. In fact, Leviticus 13 says this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Right? So imagine. You have leprosy, you're kicked out of the city, you're outside the camp, you live in a leper colony. You, if you have to come near the city, you, you're torn clothes, hair's a mess, and you literally have to yell, unclean, unclean. Why are you doing that? To warn everybody. So imagine you have to go down the arcade here, and you yell, unclean, and everyone runs. What would that do to you? That's your life. You have no social interaction except with other lepers who are dealing with the same horrific life, right? And into that, Jesus comes walking by this village, and it says, right, they lift up their voice and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, right? Perhaps they had heard about his miracles, and he had healed other lepers, and, and so they cry out to him. They cry out to him, and it says, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. That's really interesting, right? Because in Leviticus, actually, as I found this really interesting, in Leviticus 13, if you came down with a skin disease on the front end, you went to the priest, and he would examine you to see if it was leprosy. Like, you know, that's as if, you know, hey, can I come see you, Pastor Richie? Why? I need you to look at my skin to see if I have leprosy. Uh, I think Tyler's available. <laughs> I mean, right? It's like, that's kind of crazy. Like, that's what they used to do. The, the priests had to examine on the front end, right? And then, and then when it says, go show yourself, when he said, go show yourself to the priest, what would happen is if a leper thought he or she was now cleansed, they would have to go show themselves to the priest, and the priest would walk them through like a seven or eight day uh, process to determine if they were clean. And, if, and then if he said, yeah, yeah, you're clean, in Leviticus 14, he would walk them through the ceremonial cleansing. So the priests were very involved. So Jesus says, hey, it's, it's pretty interesting. He says, hey, go and show yourselves to the priests. Something seems to be missing there. Right? He says, Jesus, have mercy on us. He says, hey, go show yourself to the priest. What didn't he say? Boom! You're healed. He didn't heal them prior to sending them. 
So there's a bit of a step of faith here for these ten. Like, Jesus, have mercy on us. Go show yourself to the priest. Okay. Because they're walking. We don't know how far they got, but they're walking still as lepers to go show themselves to the priest that they're clean. Step of faith. Step of obedience. They start going, right? And then something miraculous happens. Verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. That word means healed. So imagine, 10. They're walking like, I don't know. He said go. I don't know why he didn't heal us first. Let's go. Right? They're walking. Suddenly, dude! Look at you! Look at you! Somewhere along the line, they were Healed. They were supernaturally cleansed. Crazy, right? Crazy. Right? And then what does it say? One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So, ten, they're walking. Supernatural miracle happens. Woohoo! Yeah, woo! Right? We're healed. I'm going back. I got to just like, I got to go. Where are you going? Well, to the priests. So the story focuses on the one that goes back. And says that he goes back, right? Praising God with a loud voice. Doxazo. That's related to doxology. He is giving glory to God. With a loud voice, right, giving thanks, falls at Jesus' feet. And who was he? He was a Samaritan. If you don't know anything about the Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they thought they kind of inbred and weren't pure. They hated each other. So a Samaritan of all, out of the ten, went back, goes crazy, giving glory to God, shouting, woohoo! falls at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. The implication is several of the others, if not all of them, were Jews. Right? That's kind of the implication. But look at Jesus' reaction. We're not ten cleansed. We're the nine. We're the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That word well is saved. It refers to salvation. So for this Samaritan that came back in response to what he understood and who he understood Jesus was, he has this interaction with Jesus. And now it's not just physical, but spiritual. There's a physical and spiritual healing that happens. Right? And I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah. What about those other nine? Right? One of them seems to have what we call around here a come to Jesus moment. A come to Jesus moment. Where suddenly his eyes are open, he gets understanding, he goes, Are you kidding me? That's God! The guy who sent us here, he's not just a Jewish healer, he's not just a rabbi. That's the man! 
I got to go back. And his joy and his exuberance and his just incredible thanks for what has happened and transpired overwhelms him and he just has to go back to Jesus. Has to, right? And I was thinking, well, what happened to the other nine? What, what maybe? You know, there's the, the, the scriptures don't say why the other nine didn't come. There's no real like, the, number nine, the other nine were doing this, this, and this. But based on Jesus' interactions throughout the Gospels, I think we can, we can maybe say, okay, maybe this was what was going on, right? Because we knew that if the other nine were Jewish, they knew that they had to go see the priest. That was the Levitical law. So now they're on a mission. What? To fulfill the law. They're on a mission now to do their duty. So it's like, woohoo, we're healed, we're healed, we're healed. Oh, we've got to go do our duty. Let's just, we've got to fulfill the law. So even though they're healed, what their number one priority was, was their duty, their religion, their religiosity, right? Superseded this incredible miracle that was wrought, right? I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. External religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is, Nine obey ritual where only one praises the Lord. And I just wonder about us in America in 2019. Are we ritual? And it's kind of interesting because, well, no, we're not ritual. We're (laughs) non-denominational. What? (laughs) Yeah, those denominations, they're all about ritual and they're formal. We're a non-denom. We're not ritual. Okay. Okay, you're in rows. Some of you sit, some of you, honest survey, how many of you tend to sit in the same general area or the exact same seats? How many of you drive and park in the same sort of area every Sunday? Okay, so how many of us would admit we're pretty ritual, even as non-denoms? Right? It's crazy! It's crazy! And then the point for us is how many of us sometimes let our ritualism, our religiosity, stifle us? Stifle us. Because we have to sit. Sit, stand, sit, stand. Right? And I get order. I get, I get all of that. But we have, there's this fine line. And, and I get it. And, and, and I don't know if anybody really has a lock on it. The fine line between letting the Spirit be the Spirit and blow where the Spirit wants to blow and do what the Spirit wants to do and not freaking everyone out so you don't come back. I understand that, and there's churches that take it to the extreme. You know, the extreme... Right? To the other extreme, which is it seems like... I get that. And it's, it, it's an honest challenge it's just honest for us because we genuinely do not want to stifle what god is doing in your life we do not but how do we do that in a in a in a what's the count 170 how do we do that with 170 of you here you know, we have to kind of try to land somewhere, and I'm praying, Lord, just let your spirit move. Let your spirit move. But I hope Michelle Bailey doesn't stand on her chair and start screaming, because, you know, I don't know what we're going to do with that. 
what are we going to do with that, right? How do you, how, right, Michelle? How do we do that here? I don't know. I don't know. Because the visitor is like, honey, I told you. You know, I mean, you're like, I don't, I don't know how you do that. I'm just being honest with you because I'm wondering why only one went back. One was so overwhelmed with what Jesus did that he's like, I got to go back. Maybe I'll go see the priest later. I'll complete the ritual later, but I know what I got to do. I got to go back. I got to go like love Jesus. I got to go thank Jesus. I got to go give glory to Jesus. Right? So sometimes maybe we get stifled. I think of when Jesus was talking to the, the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. He's calling them out. Hey, you're studying, 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 studying. And you think the end of it is study, 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 study. Hey, hello. All your studying is supposed to point you to me. But you're not, you refuse to come to me. It's all about me. This is what Jesus is saying. You missed it. You missed it. And we don't want you to miss it here. We really don't want you to miss it here, right? In fact, John 20, it says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. What was the point of Jesus doing miracles? To point out who he was. You're like, with the one, mission accomplished. Miracle I'm miraculously healed of leprosy. That's God. He's the man. That was the point of the miracle. That was the point of it, right? And then I wonder if the other nine, honestly, if they were tended to be more Jewish in the, in the, than the makeup of that nine, maybe in their upbringing as God's chosen people, maybe the blessings were just kind of taken for granted. Maybe they were focused more on the gifts and the benefits rather than the giver. You know? I, I, just, I just wonder about that because in John 6, remember Jesus does this incredible feeding of thousands and look, then the, then the people follow him. They find him the next day and look, this is why I say this, John 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He was calling out their motive. Hey, you're just after me for what you're getting. You're just after, you don't want me. You want to know who I am. You don't want to know my mission. You're just, you're just kind of like following me around because you're, you're getting your stomach. You're getting, you're getting fed. And, and I wonder, maybe the nine... It was like, woohoo, we got healed. Yes, that's awesome. Okay, on with life. Now I can do what I have always wanted to do. I wonder sometimes in the church if we still are about God blessing our plan, meeting our needs, so that we can get on with our agenda. It's radically different than saying, oh man, thank you, God. You are God. Right? And I I just kind of wonder if that's what's been going on. I love this by Oswald Chambers. He says this, "The The great difficulty spiritually 
is to concentrate on God. And it is his blessings that make it difficult. Troubles nearly always make us look to God. His blessings are apt to make us look elsewhere. It's kind of our nature in the flesh, right? Abundantly blessed. Uh, Hey, you know, things are going well. You want to go to church today? Nah, I'm kind of good. Right? You're You're in scripture, prayer. I mean, think about just in your own life. Do a quick assessment. When things are good, how's your church attendance? How's your Bible reading? How's your prayer? How's the intentionality of your walk with Jesus when things are good? Or do you tend to slide to complacency, comfort? It's not such a priority anymore. But... When something crisis happens, hon, you seen my Bible? Where are you going? Oh, Tuesday night. Right? Suddenly, the spiritual fire is lit. And, and this is, I just wonder, what, why would nine be supernaturally healed of a horrific disease and not go back? We don't know for sure. I just kind of put those out there based on Jesus' interactions with others to make us think, to make us consider how much ritual, even non-denom ritual, stifles us. I just put this out there to wonder, when God blesses us, even miraculously, does that draw us closer to him? Or does the blessing actually become a hindrance because now we're good? I just put those out there because... I just got to wonder if we're called to be giving thanks and abounding. Is just who we are? Maybe one of those issues God this morning wants to work through. Maybe one of those issues is, is why you're kind of stuck. Right? It, it, it's just, I just, I've been looking at this and, and it, I'm like, okay, how do we do this, Lord? How do you bring this into 2019? How maybe... Can, can 170 of us break free, okay? And, and I came across this, this, this passage in Colossians 1 about giving thanks, and, and it says this. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, that means for the spiritual lepers in this room, a miraculous thing has happened. Well, we have one hallelujah, right? Okay. So, so Garrett, what was it? 170, right? So there were 10. One came back, so that's 10%, 90% and didn't, one out of 10. So 170, maybe the kids are gone. That was pre-kids, right? The kids in here. So 100, okay, the kids are gone, the leaders are gone. So let's just call it 150. So 10, 15. 15. I don't, there's four reasons here to give thanks. And I, the next, the next uh, slide will show them. Giving thanks to the Father. Qualified, delivered, transferred, forgiveness of sins. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Right? That word qualified. Okay, let me, let me, let me, we're going to walk through this together. What, not only was leprosy a horrific physical disease with social implications, lepers and leprosy were also spiritually tagged as sinful under God's disapproval, even God's judgment. So there was a spiritual component to this. So what's the point? Well, without Jesus, we're spiritual lepers. The question is, do you really understand that or even do you believe that? That without Jesus... See, if you understand your spiritual leprosy, these verses make you jump out of your seat. Because it says here, you're qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. That word qualified means to make fit, to make adequate, to render worthy. At the moment of salvation, God, Father, qualified you. You didn't qualify you. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Who has qualified you? Anyone ever here try to qualify for a loan? A little nervous? Right? Anyone here look online for a job, job qualifications? Anyone ever been like, oh man, bummer, I don't qualify for that. Right? Right? I know what it is. You know, some of you know that I run competitively and, and one year you have to qualify for nationals. And I know what it's like to work hard to try to qualify for something. Some of you have tried for sports teams or whatever. I don't know. When I was in high school, we still had the tryouts and they would post the list. If you qualified for the team, right? It's a lot of fear. It's a lot of anxiety built into our culture. Do you qualify? Well, here's the thing, guys. The truth is, without Jesus, you don't. You don't. And, and I got to tell you, until you believe that and still stop resisting, I'm good. I'm not that bad. No, you are that bad. Spiritually, I'm, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not disrespecting you as a pro. Spiritually, you are that bad. There's either qualify or not qualify. That's the way it is. And depending on how you view yourself with Jesus and without Jesus, it makes all the difference in your giving of thanks. Right? William MacDonald says, when God saves someone, He instantly bestows on that person fitness for heaven. That fitness is Christ. Nothing can improve on that. Not even a long life of obedience and service here on earth makes a person more fit for heaven than he was the day he was saved. Our title to glory is found in his blood. Amen? The moment you get saved, you're qualified. Approved. Whatever you, right? Qualified. Our culture, our performance-driven culture, Instagram, social media keeps telling you how you're never going to measure up. You're never going to be anything. You're never going to qualify. You're never going to qualify. Right? We live under that. And yet, spiritually, it says, no, you qualified. Qualified for what? To share in the inheritance of the saints. You have an inheritance. You have been qualified 
to share in the inheritance of all the saints. And that word inheritance means that there is a specific portion waiting for you and a specific portion waiting for you and for you. It's not some generic bland inheritance that we all just sort of grab our little bit. No, there's one reserve with your name on it. The Father has apportioned all of it to his children in his inheritance. Some of you have walked through this inheritance, and the, right? So-and-so gets this. So-and-so gets that. Well, isn't it crazy to think that when you put your faith in Jesus, Father qualified you, and you're written into the will? You're like, well, how does that work? Because someone did die, Jesus. But he rose from the dead, so in a weird way, he's kind of the executor too. Amen. Crazy, right? You're qualified, and now you have a share in the inheritance. Right? Do you, do you kind of believe that, though? Do you believe that? Because it makes all the difference. So, so here's, here, if you really get that, what you would understand is without Jesus, instead of saying unclean, unclean, what you say is what? No, without Jesus, unqualified, unqualified. Do you believe it? Makes all the difference. Without Jesus, we should be walking down the arcade yelling unqualified, unqualified. Now that's hard for me. I was sharing with John this week. I will, I grew up super competitive. Had an older brother, three years older than me. We would compete a lot and I hated losing to him. And then I hated losing to anybody about anything. Super competitive. Right? Just hate losing. And so one of my challenges when my friends started sharing the gospel when I was in college, they were like, oh, you know, dude, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> Maybe you. Sin. I'm a sinner. A sinner. Right? And, and I had grown up in the Roman Catholic tradition. And so for someone to say, call me out like a sinner, I took that like competitive. I, right? Sinners equal losers. I'm not a loser. I win at everything. I had a hard time admitting my need and my spiritual unqualified, unqualified status. That's a, that's a really humbling pill to swallow. Unqualified, unqualified. Because I spent all my life, a lot of my life, through sports and school and all the other social stuff, trying to prove that I was. And I just wanted to be accepted. And I just wanted to make my parents happy. And I just wanted to be a part of the cool crowd. And... I just wanted to, and I just wanted to somehow prove to the world that, no, I'm not so bad. Actually, I'm qualified. Can you let me in your friend group? Hey, can we go? Would you hang out with me? Will you be my girlfriend? I, I'm qualified. I'm not such a bad person. I spent all my life trying to prove at a certain core level that I'm not that bad. And I just wanted someone to feel like, you know. And then when I, when I worked through this, and I understood that it wasn't a finger-wagging unqualified. It was like, hey, just let, let go. Stop fighting that you're unqualified. Admit and receive the qualification. Just receive the gift. They receive the gift of being qualified. 
That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's what I'm saying. That story of the ten leopards is 2019. Unqualified, unqualified, right? Unclean, unclean. Go show the priests. What? Unqualified, unqualified. Put your faith in Jesus. Qualified. What? Sharing my inheritance. And here's the crazy thing. When you put your faith... Uh, who's it? Garrett, we're going to switch all the way to the last verse. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? Not only are you qualified through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's waiting. Why is this so important? Because it puts in perspective all the things we need to deal with in a fallen and broken world. Because we understand we have an eternal inheritance waiting for us. Guaranteed. It's there. We went from unqualified to qualified by His grace. Right? How did He do this? How did He do this? Romans 5, 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. Titus says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How do we go from unqualified to qualified? The Bible says you are justified. When you put your faith in Jesus, there was a legal declaration made. Not guilty, fully righteous. Once and, once and for all, done. Done. You put your faith in Christ. You rest in his finished work. A legal declaration called justification. That's what it means you're justified. God the judge declares you not guilty and fully righteous. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Qualified. Qualified. That's how it works. That's how you go from unqualified to qualified. His grace, it's all His grace. In response to His grace, you put your faith in His finished work. Right? And so, so here's the crazy thing, right? This, this same story that we read about the ten leopards is present tense right now. So let me ask you a question. We don't know for sure why the other nine didn't come back. But just, just ask yourself. What prevents you from just having that, oh man, are you kidding me moment? From unclean to clean, I gotta go back to him. From unqualified to qualified, I gotta go back to him. What prevents you? Is it ritual? Is it kind of like this, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine, good, I gotta think, is it priorities? What 
is it that prevents you from just yes having the yes moment having the yes moment right it, what what did it say the the, number, the Samaritan went back he went back praising God loudly fell at Jesus' feet giving thanks. You know what that means? He didn't care what you thought of him. He was so lit. He was so jacked on Jesus. And what had just happened, he didn't give a rip what anyone thought about him. He was free. Amen? He had this freedom that I think many of us in this room envy. Like, when do I get to be that free? When, when do I get to be that free in Christ? Because I, I walked in here and now I get it. I was a spiritual leper. And the same supernatural thing happened to me, Randy. I'm clean. I'm qualified. That's me in the story. If you're a believer, that's you in the story. Right? And I wonder, okay, 10%. One out of 10. What was the number 170? We'll call it 150. 150. And I just wonder. 10%. So let's call it 15. See, one went back to Jesus, doxology, praising him loudly, giving him thanks, fell at his feet. One out of nine. I just wonder, for those of us here today who were unqualified, but now you understand you're qualified, who was a spiritual leopard, but now you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, who wasn't part of the inheritance. Now there's an inheritance with your name and your portion written on it. I wonder what it would take for somebody to give God glory here. There goes Michelle. Like, like, like. Okay, Mark, Mark. You're, you're, give, what, what are you giving God glory for? Just... Amen. What are you, Randy, what are you giving God glory for? My inheritance, Michelle, what are you giving God glory for? Oh, you in the front. What are you giving God glory for? I'm saved. Okay, so that's four, so that's like 2%. I just wonder, okay, Darian, what, is, what are you giving God glory for? He's, he saved me. Come on now. Are there any other spiritual lepers that got cleansed? Who else? What? I don't have to worry anymore. I don't, it's not in my control. He's already saved me in the area. Amen. Amen. Of course. I'm saved too. I was a spiritual leper. Amen. Amen. All right. So where are we at? Like eight? Okay. Ten? I'm a daughter of the king and I'm free. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm free. In health, in sickness, in death, it doesn't matter. I've got Jesus. I'm going to heaven immediately. Amen. Unqualified to qualify. Yes. All right. All right. Amen. 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 Right? Lisa. The Holy Spirit saved me. 
Amen. Amen. I am written in the book of life. Right? Come on. Jody. I'm new. I'm new. I'm new. You know, it's Angelica. Yes, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Lisa, round two. Here we go. You want to be baptized, all right? Yes. Then you can come up. All right. Now, let me, let me share something with you. Let me share something with you. Baptism. It's about Him. See, sometimes we get nervous about baptism because the minute we think of signing up, we're going to be in front of people and we get this weird pressure, especially if you've been a quote-unquote Christian for a while and you didn't get baptized. There's this weird pressure like, oh, what are they going to think about me? I've been walking. They might wonder, what took so long? Whatever. Let me flip this for you. When you get baptized, you're giving glory to God. It's all about Him and what He did from going, taking you from unqualified to qualified. The baptism gives Him the glory. You're His trophy. It's, it's not about you. You go there and you say, Hey world, I'm glorifying my Father. Hey world, this is not about me. I want you to know that what he did in me, unqualified to qualified, hey world, he can do it to you. The same gift is available to everyone here. It is. It is. The ten lepers story is us today. And he wants us to celebrate. What did Jesus say? Where's the other nine? Right? And he says that to us, hey, where's the other 130 Especially at church. I give you complete freedom to give God glory anytime. Give Him thanks. Celebrate Him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing an incredible God-glorifying song and then we'll take communion. We are going to uh, celebrate communion today in the spirit of celebration. As you come forward, the bread and the juice will be here. You come forward because you're qualified to come forward. In Jesus, you come forward in recognition that you're, you're sharing in the inheritance. There's a portion with your name on it because you're qualified through faith in Jesus. And if you've not put your faith in Jesus, you can do that right now. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. Just rest in the finished work of Jesus at Calvary. Receive God's gift of salvation. Say, Father, I recognize now that I was unqualified, that spiritually I had a leprous condition. But Father, this very moment I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I want to be justified to be declared not guilty, fully righteous. So Father, in the best way I know how I'm putting my faith in Jesus. So Father, thank you that through that faith I'm qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints. So if you'd like, you can be seated. And if you want, you can come up for communion. Just come on up. We're going to have a spirit of celebration as qualified saints sharing in the same inheritance. Come on up. And then when everyone's been served, we'll take communion together.